You know, God speaks to Ezekiel and asks him, is this wood any better than that wood? What is God saying? This is a really good one today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are learning from the world's best-selling book, that is the Bible, God's Word, 66 books. And one of the books we're reading is Ezekiel. And this particular passage today from 15, we'll talk about it in just a minute. Right now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at some of the symbolism of the Jerusalem temple. Ryan? Today, my segment deals with the specific cult that the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel were coming against. All right, that's very good. Uh, those are coming up in 20 minutes' time. Janice? It's Friday. That means our Fun Friday question is coming up. I'm going to base it anywhere from Jeremiah chapter 51 all the way through to Ezekiel 15. I'm going to be asking Ryan and Corey and you too. All right, very good. Get your Bible guide out. Let's look and see what God is saying to us. Ezekiel 15, 1 through 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood, the vine branch which is among the trees of the forest? Is wood taken from it to make any object? Or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel on? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it, and its middle is burned. Is it useful for any work? Indeed. When it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? Therefore thus says the Lord God, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem." and I will set my face against them. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Thus I will make the land desolate, because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. Ezekiel chapter 15 Verses 1 through 8. You know, we continue to read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. It is really good. And it's not very common to find people who are faithful today, is it? Faithfulness is not easy, and it's not considered an important trait. It seems much more common for our society to prioritize self-faithfulness, staying true to one's own wants and desires, rather than self-sacrifice and faithfulness. Yet as Christians, people who follow Christ, God calls us to be faithful in all of our walks of life. He calls us to be faithful to our family, calls us to be faithful to our friends, calls us to be faithful to our neighbors to our co-workers, and so on. Ultimately, God calls us to be faithful to him. And those who reject the idea of God believe that they serve themselves. 
Their lives are wrapped around their own selfish ideals. Is yours? Is mine? Ezekiel chapter 15 is a short but powerful passage of scripture. In his writing, Ezekiel pens God's example of an outcast vine, pointing out Israel's persistent lack of faithfulness to him. It is a simple message that rings true in all of our lives. We should ask ourselves all the same question. In a world of unfaithfulness, are we faithful people? Do we stand out as different from the world? Are we true followers of Jesus Christ? Boy, this is a hard one. I remember learning all of this in church when I was younger and I'll tell you, it really is important. We need to be faithful people. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, you can call us or write to us. We'll send it to you. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And God will bless you and keep you in this time of inflation. God will keep your needs if you are faithful to him. And uh, we need to understand that it takes you to the donation page. And after you make a donation, suddenly and importantly, it takes you to a page where you can download it just as it's printed. So you can be seconds and you can be studying Ezekiel chapter 15 about unfaithfulness with us. And as we do so, let me just tell you that we're going to be focused on this because chapter 12 talked about Judah's captivity. It was symbolized by Ezekiel. And then false prophets were condemned. A lot of that happening, I'll tell you. And idolatrous elders were condemned. False prophets and idolatrous elders. Jerusalem will not be spared. And then Jerusalem is used. A vine is used to show Jerusalem. Now, this is important as we talk about faithfulness. Father, help us to read your word. And help us to faithfully hear it and help us to faithfully apply it to our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit in us. So be with all the believers who are watching me. Touch them, Lord. And be with those who are not believers watching me. Encourage their hearts to come to you. And those who are on the edge, marginalized, touch them as well, Father. Help us to read from your word into our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, all of us said together, amen which means make it so. Now, let's read from the first part of this because it's interesting, one through four. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? I mean, the vine branches, which is among the trees of the forest, is the wood taken from it to make any object or can men make a peg from it to hang on any vessel? Indeed, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both ends of it and its middle is burned. It is useful for, is it useful for any work? That's a really good question. God asked Ezekiel whether the wood of the vine is better than any others. God always uses the vine as an expression of his people. Beloved, we should ask ourselves this question today. Are we useful in the Lord's Service. Are we useful in the Lord's service? I'm asking myself, are you asking yourself, are we useful in the Lord's service? 
because God's trying to say something today. And are we able to say it? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to help us, don't we? We really do. All right, let's go on because this gets even better in chapter 15, verse 5. Indeed, when it was when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and burned it? Is it burned? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel. So I will give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Wow. And I will set my face against them. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Now, this is important. Listen carefully. God has a specific purpose for the people he created us to be. We are made by God to be faithful to him. Let me, let me explain something. You're not an accident. I know you've been taught that billions of years and all of that and dirt whittled over here and a little bit of this and slimed out, became this. No, it didn't. Psalm 139 does not say that. The Bible does not say, Jesus Christ said God created us. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nation. God designed us. Every one of you are designed. Whether you believe in God or not, God designed us to do his faithful work. Are we? Are you? Am I? Last verse, verse eight. Thus, I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. Now that's important because third point is when God's people are unfaithful to him, the land becomes desolate. We need to pay attention to that as we focus on what's happening today. When God's people are unfaithful to him, the land becomes desolate. God is our source and we must work towards faithfulness through the power of his Holy Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. I know that everybody says, get up and do it yourself. No, you can't. But when you come to Jesus Christ and invite the Holy Spirit into your life and God changes you to a servant of the Most High God, well, that's different. Are you ready to be a servant of God? If you are, join me in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Help me not to sin. I believe you came and died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And I believe after three days you rose from the dead and overcame death. And I believe, Father, you ascended to heaven. I believe, Lord, that you paid the cost of sin. So I ask you to come into my life because I give my sin to you and I need to be faithful to you. Help me to be a changed person in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
The prophet Ezekiel talks a lot about the idolatry that was going on in Israel and in Judah. And in Judah specifically, you know, there's, there's a few chapters of Ezekiel that focus in on the Jerusalem temple, the temple of the Lord that was originally built by Solomon. So you and I today, we're going to go back and we're going to look at what some of the original imagery and symbolism of the Jerusalem temple was supposed to be. As meeting places for God and men, ancient temples were created to reflect the ideal environment for such an event, the Garden of Eden, also called the Garden of Plenty or Paradise in surrounding cultures. The Jerusalem temple built by King Solomon was no exception. The Bible gives a detailed description of it. First, its location, built just outside the city of David up on the highest point of the hilly territory. Mountains seem to have always been associated with God, holiness, and meetings between man and God. Take, for example, the tradition that the Garden of Eden itself was on a mountain, the building of the artificial mountain that we have in the Tower of Babel incident, and the giving of the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai. The Temple's Mountain is also biblically associated with Mount Moriah, where generations earlier Abraham had nearly offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It seems that the temple itself was built and decorated to reflect the Garden of Eden. In front of it stood the Bronze Sea Reservoir and the ten bronze water carts decorated with lions and cattle. These likely symbolized the water of creation and the rivers that flowed through Eden to water it. In predictions of the future temple of God, the prophets all mention a river of life that flows from it. Perhaps the lions and the cattle on the carts symbolized prey and predator living peacefully together as in Eden and the future temple. There were also two 25-foot-tall pillars whose capitals were shaped like lilies and were covered in hundreds of pomegranates, perhaps representing the two special trees of Eden. The doors to the temple were made out of wood with gold overlay and carved with cherubim, palm trees, flowers all garden motifs found in Genesis. The inside floors and walls of the temple were covered with wood paneling and carved with vegetables and flowers, continuing the natural paradise theme. In Solomon's temple, the one lampstand of the tabernacle was replaced by ten lampstands. If these were created in the same fashion, they were decorated to look like stylized almond trees. The back wall of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, from the rest of the temple, was decorated a bit differently with its cherubim, trees, and flower blossoms. Its door was made out of a special olive wood carved with the same images and covered in gold. The idea of gardens being holy places was widespread in the ancient Near East and its application was not limited to symbolism, building materials, and carvings. Ancient kings had a habit of collecting trees from conquered or allied nations and planting elaborate gardens in their cities, palaces, and temples. As God is said to have planted the Garden of Eden, kings also took it upon themselves to be creators in their own right. Images of live potted trees being transported strikes a chord with the careful Bible reader. Perhaps a similar practice occurred in the courts of Solomon's temple. So you can see then, you know, where the Jerusalem temple, it's supposed to be this amazing meeting place between God's presence and, and mankind. And it's just supposed to be a really beautiful thing. Then 
how awful it truly was that this had become corrupted and so ultimately corrupted. You know, on yesterday's program and and, and before we we even took a look at Ezekiel chapter eight that that really focused in on all of the different practices that were going on. So we see when you can com- when you can compare what the original idea behind the temple was with what it had become, it really then doesn't come as a surprise to anyone that God was going to shut the whole thing down. And that's really interesting because uh, people talk about the covenant of God and all that stuff, and but the covenant is our responsibility to God as well. It's corruptible, and, in other words. Yeah, it yeah. becomes, yeah, and so... We want God to fulfill his side of the covenant, which he does. Mm-hmm. But what, what happens when we don't fulfill our side of the covenant mm-hmm. is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Corey. Right? All right. Well, my segment today is actually a continuation of yesterday's study in which we attempted to identify the false god the Israelite women were worshiping and mourning called Tamas. Well, in today's segment, we identify an apparent connection to this, and we find this connection in the book of Jeremiah. It looks like both Jeremiah and Ezekiel were dealing with this false cult, which had ensnared God's people. Take a look. The Queen of Heaven is a title that occurs only five times in the entire Bible, and it is found exclusively in the book of Jeremiah. In all of these passages, Jeremiah is upbraiding the people of Judah for worshiping her rather than the true God. In fact, entire families, including mothers, fathers, and even children, participated in these worship rituals. Not only did worship of her include cult prostitution, but the Judean women even dared to make cakes stamped with her image as offerings. While it is impossible to identify this false goddess with absolute certainty, some scholars contend that the best candidate is Ishtar, called the Lady of Heaven, the Assyrio-Babylonian goddess of love, fertility, and war. This is scripturally and historically possible because, as one scholar points out, there certainly was Mesopotamian influence in the worship practices of Judah, particularly from the time of King Ahaz until the reign of King Zedekiah. In fact, even after this time, we find in the book of Ezekiel Jewish women at the Temple of God worshipping and mourning for Ishtar's lover Tamaz, the god of vegetation. Additionally, the Hebrew word for the cakes that the women made seems to come from an Akkadian word referring to a sweet pastry, which was offered to the Mesopotamian goddess Ishtar. Still, identifying this goddess isn't so clear-cut. Other possible identifications for this false deity include Canaanite goddesses such as Anath and Asherah, the latter of whom definitely seems to have been worshipped in Israel according to archaeological discoveries. This confusion over her name is not surprising, considering that as Lady of the Lands, she was revered throughout the ancient Near East, and was called by various names depending on the region. Despite her many different names, however, this goddess always appears to be connected with the heavenly bodies, and specifically the moon. As a matter of fact, the original language itself seems to suggest this, as the Hebrew word used in the Masoretic text isn't the normal word for queen. Others, including the translators of the Septuagint, understood this word to mean handiwork. Thus, the Queen of Heaven would be, quote, the Army of Heaven. Similarly, the Aramaic Targum translates this title as simply stars. Several Bible commentators also identify the Queen of Heaven with the moon, including Matthew Henry. The worshipping of the moon, he says, was much in use among the heathen nations. We remember here Abraham's own father, Terah. 
In fact, the whole celestial globe with all its ornaments and powers was the object of their adoration. Sadly, in direct violation of God's commands, his people worshipped the host of heaven rather than the Lord of hosts. You know, what's so unfortunate is that this sort of false worship is still going on today, believe it or not. As scholar Paula Reinhardt notes, in recent times, a renewed interest in paganism has arisen among many women. Focus has been placed upon such ancient goddesses as Gaia, the earth goddess, and Sophia, the goddess of wisdom. Some women's organizations, even within the church, are introducing women to goddesses and pagan elements of worship and theology. You know, it's so, so important that Christians guard their hearts and minds against these influences. Just like the ancient Israelites, they thought that these so-called gods and goddesses can offer them good things. But as God reminds his people in many places in scripture, every good thing comes from him. Further, these false gods can't save you. Only the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, can save you. So we need to worship and trust and focus on him and him alone. I think one of the important things to remember is that the, the deities or the spiritual aspects of these demonic forces, they did not die with the generations ago with the people who perished. So whatever God was causing uh, Nebuchadnezzar to believe that he can be worshipped and uh, be praised and uh, do all these wonderful things, that demon is still alive. Yeah, and we get a little glimpse of that in the book of Daniel as well, right? In the, fact, we you know, do. The Prince of Persia and all of those sorts of things. So it's important just to keep in mind. I remember someone telling me, well, uh, he was talking about America. This is years ago, 20, 35 years ago. And he said, uh, well, you know, we don't have any demons over here. And I said, oh, really? Is that true? He said, yes, they're all overseas. They're not here. And his thinking was that we were so righteous that somehow... There's no demons over here. And yet I find that many, and, and there are people who don't believe in demons and they, for whatever reason, but these gods are demonic forces that get us to worship ourselves and worship other gods mm -hmm. other than Jesus Christ, who comes to our heart, comes to our mind, and he makes us who we are, who he created, who God created us to be. And who are you? Well, you answer that question by knowing who God is. And when you know who God is, then you can pinpoint who you are. And this is the whole secret to self-esteem. Everybody's talking about self-esteem. But when we put God first in our lives, then we begin to get a picture of who we are. Because God designed us to do the work that he has assigned to us. And only we can do the work he has assigned to us. And I think that's very, very important. Absolutely. So it's, I don't know, it's just a way that we... We look at things and see things. And when we understand from the Bible what it says, yeah. that becomes important. It's a mindset, isn't it? And then it's a heart shift. Yeah, it, that's exactly correct. Because it's not that you look down upon yourself because you are a creation of God. And yet it's God that has given us life. It's God that has given us a nature. And, and when we give our lives over to him, when we humble ourselves and acknowledge him for who he is, that's when the change comes. And the scripture says, when you humble yourself before God, it is God who lifts you up. So that now you recognize the fact that you have your breath and you have your life because you are serving a living God who designed you and made you and loves you and wants to spend time with you. And, and, and that, that becomes a shift and a change. And, and, and it's something, you know, we haven't arrived yet, have we? No. we it's, it's a life change. It's a life changing process. 
I this think, following Christ. I think it's important to remember that the Bible says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, or in the Bible of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water. What? A tree planted by the water. The tree does not depend on the environment to feed it. It has a connection to the water. To the source. To the source. And this is very important for people to learn right now, is we have a connection to God Almighty. And we say, Lord, help us in this time of inflation. Help us in this time, and he will. Because it, 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 coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him doesn't mean we won't have trouble. No. Jesus even told us himself that we will have trouble, but yep. he has overcome the world. So when we put our dependence on him, he can help us. He can guide us and lead us. In fact, he does. And Very promises good. to supply us with what we need. That's right. And we better get to the Bible IQ question. We have a minute and 32 seconds we left. Can so let's do go. It. Here no we go. No problem. <laughs> All right. So our Bible IQ question or our Friday wrap-up question, I can ask it anywhere from Jeremiah chapter 51 through to Ezekiel 15. Here it is. I'm going to read it out loud. Ryan and Corey are going to have to answer in person, and you at home get to play along as well. What king had his eyes put out after seeing the death of his sons by order of the king of Babylon. Easy question. What king had his eyes put out after seeing the death of his sons by order of the king of Babylon? The terrible, terrible thing that happened to this king. Was it King Nebuchadnezzar? Was it King Jehoiachin? Or was it King Zedekiah? What do you think at home? Was it King Nebuchadnezzar? Was it King Jehoiachin? Or was it King Zedekiah? Corey and Ryan, I think there's been a lot of mm -hmm. head nodding over here in going on. You guys have well, you come yeah. to well, quite confident. We should know this because we've both done segments on, on this <laughs> individual. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're going to go ahead and answer Zedekiah. All right. Yes, I now, second that. You second that, and I think you third <laughs> oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I actually fourth that as well. And uh, so I hope that that was your answer that you gave at home. Jeremiah 52, in the last 13 seconds, 10 to 11, say this. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah and Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. There may be people who are struggling because they've lost their job or something's happened, but I want to say that God can help you and I want to pray for you today. Father, I pray for everyone who's having a hard time with their living patterns and all of that. Lord, I pray that you would meet their needs as they serve you and as they're faithful to you. Help them today, Lord, and help us today in this ministry to be faithful to you in these very difficult times. Thank you, Lord, and we praise your name because you are our God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.